when you see him on his white horse, as he grips his glittering sword, what do you see in his hand? A hole. A hole. We just sang it. It's true. Jesus Christ glorified has his wounds glorified along with his body. And though he rides as that victorious conqueror, he is also crowned him the Lord of love because he loved us and has the wounds to prove it, even as he conquers on his white horse. May Jesus Christ be praised. Brother Matthew Jones, please come forward and lead us in prayer this morning. O God, our God, Jehovah God, our Father in heaven, Abba Father, O Lord, all of these things and more, Lord, are you. You fill heaven and earth. There is no God like thee with your power, with your terrible justice and judgment, but yet your incredible mercies. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, where justice and mercy have kissed together and given us a Savior that we can glory in forever and ever. Father, I beg that you help us to glory in him now. For, Lord, you know our frame and that we're just dust. Lord, for whatever reason you've chosen us, so help us. And be with us and bless us to love thee more. For that is our desire, but our flesh is weak. So strengthen us, Lord, this day and this hour. Be with us with your spirit. Fill us and help us, God, to walk in holiness, in the beauty of holiness and righteousness before you. Until that day where we will be holy, holy before thee forever in your presence to worship and glory in thee. Be with our pastor that you've given us. Bless his mouth. Bless his the words that he speaks, and bless our hearts, O Lord, to receive what he says and to hold fast to your truth. We thank you for him, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for our church, for all of these things are gifts from thee. It's in Jesus Christ's name, our Savior, we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you, brother. I wish you'd come riding in. Amen. I'd grab a hold of that horse's tail. I don't mean that in jest, or I, I, I want to be with them. Amen. I hate this world. I hate my flesh. I can't. I've got another sick brother up here with me who loves a song, How Sweet to Die. I say sick in the eyes of the world, we're sick. Do you know what the glory is of dying? Our flesh dies, right. and our spirit soars into heaven to be with him forever. And will never be tempted again with sin. Never decay again. No pain, no sorrow, no sufferings. No temptations, no guilt, no shame. No weakness. Mighty in his might. Brethren, turn in your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I am an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only by His mercy that I would ever be His ambassador. I magnify the office. I do not magnify the person. But I want to lift Him up because He is my King and I come to you as His ambassador so that you will know your King and never be deceived or moved away from the proper knowledge of your King. Because there is an enemy 
who is a prince. He is the prince of the power of the air who wants to take away the glory of your king and of the king I represent. And this day I want to help build your faith, your most holy faith, in knowing your king. Because he wants to detract from your king. Because he cannot stand the fact that God has made the man Christ Jesus Lord of all. He cannot stand that. And so he wants to take away from the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and demote him to a God, to a begotten God, to an angel named Michael, as the Mormons would say, to a prophet, to a great example, to a martyred saint. But we're going to have none of that. Your king is Jehovah God, and he's king of kings and Lord of lords. Are you ready for some battle this morning? Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. We have the one occurrence out of 31,178 verses of the full description, the full statement of God's name. He sends me to you this morning. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. This is the name of God. Amen. Come over to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. I read in verse 3, the same God speaking to Moses again. I'll get verse 2 also. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. By comparing these two passages, we get understanding. And I declare unto you that the great I am that I am is just the full explanation and definition of the name Jehovah. Their equivalence. Jehovah equals I am that I am. I am that I am is the definition of Jehovah. Right. Numbers chapter 20, chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. I'm briefly reviewing last Sunday's message in reverse order. Numbers 13. I read... In verse 8, that of the tribe of Ephraim, one of the twelve spies that was chosen to go into Canaan was Ashia, the son of Nun. But I read in verse 16, these are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Ashia, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. As I said last Sunday, Do you see the four first letters of that name, Jehoshua? Do they look familiar? They're short for Jehovah. Moses added a little prefix to Joshua's name. His name was Ashia, salvation. Moses added, Jeho for Jehovah. Jehovah is salvation. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, was going to need 
Jehovah to be his salvation because he was going to go into Canaan with an undermanned army, under-equipped, and take on cities walled up to heaven where giants lived. And so he would need Jehovah to be his salvation. But now come over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We have some angels coming into the world. Matthew 1, Luke 1, coming into the world to announce glad tidings that we just sang about when we sang joy to the world, the Lord is come. The angel said to Joseph in verse 21, and she shall bring, that is Mary, his espoused wife, Matthew 1, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, and I thank God for the Bibles that you hold in your hands, for they represent my king well. His name is in all capital letters. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Joseph didn't name Mary's son, nor did Mary name Mary's son. The Lord God named Mary's son, and the Lord God named that son Jehoshua. Which, because we're reading in the New Testament, comes to us as Jesus. We know that because of Hebrews 4.8 and Acts 7.45, that when they are describing and referring to Jehoshua, the son of Nun, they call him Jesus. Because after that Hebrew word, Jehoshua is brought into Greek and then into English, it's Jesus. Joseph and Mary, by the direct order of the Lord God, named their baby, our Savior, the Lord himself, that came into the world, Jehoshua, which is Jehovah, is salvation. Because he would save his people from their sins. And if he would save their pe- his people from their sins, and Jehovah is salvation, then he must be Jehovah. Now look at Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We don't have time because we want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are not worth it. So we are not going to make some great study of Russellism. Or the Russellites. Or the poor little deluded followers of the Watchtower Society. Known today as so-called, quote, Jehovah's Witnesses, unquote. They're not worthy of it. Right. They're anti-Christian and anti-Bible. Amen. They're the followers of a man, Charles Taze Russell, who was convicted in Brooklyn, New York, of selling miracle wheat and diluting his followers and selling it at five times market price, convicted in a U.S. court of law as being a liar and a fraud, who sued a Baptist pastor in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, who brought charges against him that he knew nothing about the Bible in any language. And Charles Taze Russell sued him for libel. And the courts of Canada acquitted, cleared, and vindicated the Baptist pastor. And in that trial, which is fully recorded in the court dockets of Hamilton, Ontario, he was shown to be a perjurer and a liar. If they want, if you want to trace your religion, 
a mere hundred years to a man like that, and I stated very clearly facts that can be known by all men, then so be it. You have no interest in the Lord Jesus Christ because that man wanted to take away the glory of the king I represent. And they are not worthy of our time to study any further. We are to find men who have an interest in the truth. We are to give an answer to those that ask a reason of the hope that is within us. The Apostle Paul said, pray for me that I might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. He did not say, pray for me that God would bless me to convert unreasonable and wicked men. And those are unreasonable and wicked men. All they do is sit around in their little kingdom halls and try to figure out ways that they can take on Baptists and the true saints of the Lord Jesus Christ and take away the glory of the Son of God. That's all they do. They have no program of their own because their program has set deadlines and timetables for 100 years and none of them have come to pass. That same Charles Taze Russell said that Jesus Christ would return in the year 1914. And for a couple of months, the religious world of this country was concerned because what broke out on the face of this earth in 1914? But a world war. But I want to tell you something. And I'm here as the ambassador of Jesus Christ. He didn't come back yet, brethren. Because when he comes back it's not going to look like the little tiny police action of World War I. You won't have to wonder when the king comes back. And you know what they had to do? Completely revise their forecast and change it to a spiritual coming, an invisible coming. You ought to read what all the things they had to do in 1914 when it didn't happen. Just like 1844 with the poor Millerites who sold all their possessions and stood on their rooftops in their own white garments. Can you believe that? Who wants to stand in your own bed sheet? I want the Lord Jesus Christ fine linen. Amen. And they stood there on their housetops and the whole world laughed at them. And do you know what it's called today in Seventh-day Adventist theology? The Great Disappointment. I want to tell you about the King of Kings. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 43. Let me read to you two verses. I want to take their verses, brethren. I want want their verses. Listen, the Word of God is on our side. Don't you be afraid of any verse. This is where they go to try to get their name. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 43, verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Don't tell me about a begotten God. Don't tell me about an eternally generated God. The God of heaven said, Before me there was no God formed, there was no God formed after me. He did not form another God. And there is only one Savior, and who is the Savior? Jehovah God is the Savior. Then why would Jehovah God name a little boy, a little baby, Jehoshua, for he shall save 
his people from their sins. God said he was the Savior, and God says, I only am the Savior. Therefore, Jesus of Nazareth, the baby born to Mary, is Jehovah God. And they want to go into this passage and come out of it thinking that they are the witnesses of Jehovah God and Jesus is some created spirit who is a God. That is exactly their theology. There was no God formed. They can call him a God, a sort of God, a demigod, a lesser God, but there was no God formed. Right. You say, but there's been lots of gods in the earth. No, there haven't been. That's just in the imagination of pitifully weak, depraved, perverted men who called them gods. In the true sense of the word God, the Lord said there have been no gods. And so the passage they go to and take the words, ye are my witnesses, that is ours, brethren. We are his witnesses because we are witnessing that there is only one God and he alone is the Savior. And Jesus was appointed by that God to save his people from their sins. He did so. He, Jesus of Nazareth, the king I serve, is Jehovah God and we are his witnesses. Love it. Love it. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a man. Do you know what kind of revelation you have to have from God to be able to believe what I just said in light of what I said before what I just said? Our Lord Jesus Christ is a man. He is a complex person. When I say complex person, I don't mean he's all that complicated. I don't mean that he's, we can't know him. I mean that he's got two natures joined together. Jehovah God and a human nature in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he sits on his white horse and treads the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, he's treading his own fierceness and wrath because all judgment and power and authority has been put into his hands. Read John chapter 5. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world with a human nature and a human body to be our Savior. He had to do that, and he did it willingly. He humbled himself to lower himself below angels and to come into this world. He was conceived in a woman, the lowest spot in the earth. Conceived in a woman and came forth the same way that all children come forth. He had a birth date. He grew in wisdom and in stature. He was seven pounds, four ounces. He was 10 pounds. He was 20 pounds. He was a 100-pound 12-year-old. He was a 150-pound 16-year-old. And he was a 175-pound 30-year-old man. And you know that I'm just speaking to make you think about the fact that he grew in wisdom and stature because Jesus Christ was a man. And the angels beheld... The good angels beheld, and Satan's angels beheld, and they all knew who this child was, is, and ever shall be, the Lord of glory. They saw. He died. His human nature, He on the cross he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
Did he need to commend the Holy Spirit into God the Father's hands? He commended his human spirit. His human spirit that had grown in wisdom. Does the Holy Spirit grow in wisdom? Does the Word of God grow in wisdom? No, the Word of God joined with the human spirit and in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is the complex Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever deny either. Absolutely and fully and completely, Jehovah God, completely a man, yet without sin. He disappeared bodily into heaven, and he sits bodily, bodily, taking up space, bodily, weight, bodily, in heaven at this hour on the right hand of God. Where is it? I haven't been there yet. The Apostle Paul went there, and he said what he saw, he couldn't tell. But he said they were things that couldn't even be described. And he said that if he could have been able to talk about them, he'd have been so puffed up at the incredible glory of the revelations that were given to him that God kept him back from it. Brother, it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and I want to tell you right now that my King, the Lord Jesus Christ, taking up space in a physical body, with a human nature, I'm saying every word that I'm saying for your education and instruction is seated in heaven. Don't ever deny either. If you deny either, you are in deep trouble in the word of God. You say, how can it be? How can it be? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle Paul said that. Now notice, I've described already for you as much as the Bible tells us. He had a human spirit, soul, and body. And he was the Word of God. Combined together, he was the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very important doctrine that we all must be established in. Turn to 1 Timothy 3.16. Who said they wanted to be like the Most High? Lucifer. Satan. The devil. That old dragon. That old serpent. The prince of the power of the air. The God, little g, of this world. In his imagination... Because the Lord God said before me there was no God formed. <laughs> and there was no God formed after me. Sorry, Satan. It's in your imagination. And the little limited sphere of authority that you have in this earth, just like President Clinton is a God. He hates this fact that God could take a baby, the seed of the woman. Remember, he picked on a woman in the Garden of Eden. He didn't pick on Adam. He picked on a woman. The shame is that the man fell to the woman. But he picked on a woman. But do you know what the God of glory did? He sent the seed of the woman to bruise the serpent's head. And he cannot stand that. It was his ambition to be like the Most High. And now there is a man in the universe who is the Most High. 
Is that glorious? And he can't wait until the day timed in the eternal counsel of God in the which he will grind Satan under his feet and we are going to be right behind him doing the same thing. It's recorded in the book of Romans. 1 Timothy 3.16. Look at this verse. One minister to another. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. There's no controversy about this matter. Great is the mystery of godliness. And it's not just that there's no controversy that this is a mystery, but there is no controversy. This is true. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, you've got a problem if you let anyone, and I'm going to get to this again in a minute, if you let anyone play with another version, if you're going to discuss, debate, or talk about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 3 in a New American Standard Version. First, all the Bibles say the same thing because there's only two. There's the Bibles of the Prince of the Power of the Air, and there's the Bibles of the Lord God Jehovah. First Timothy 3.16 And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh. He who was revealed in the flesh. It's not just a he that was revealed in the flesh. It was God that was made manifest in the flesh. That is a proof of the king I represent. He is Jehovah God. And they took it away. Now, where did they get it from? Now I'm going to read from the Jehovah's Witness Bible. The New World Translation of 1950 and 60. It took them about 15 years to write it because they didn't have anyone competent to write Scripture. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. Indeed, the sacred secret of this godly devotion is admittedly great. He was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. That is the mystery of godliness. And it's without controversy, and it is great. But believe it. I am here, not on my own behalf, not to please you, but to please Him who's called me, and for you to believe this fact. God was manifest in the flesh. God was tabernacled among men. God walked on this planet in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's bodily in heaven right now, and he is Jehovah God. Amen. Every Christian, every one of you, should know this and be established in this and be able to defend it, modestly at least. It's one of the principal points of what we believe and the faith of the gospel that God wants you to, to hold fast. It is a fact that almost every cult and by cult, for this, for the sake of this word in this paragraph, we mean any religious organization of men that demotes or does not claim the Lord Jesus Christ as the founder and the center of their religion wants to take away his deity. When you look at Mormonism or the Unitarians, and oh, people get all bent out of shape when you call the Unitarians a cult. Our founding fathers Some of them were Unitarians. They deny the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look at the Jehovah's Witnesses. They deny the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why the attack on the Lord Jesus Christ? All lies come from one source. 
He is the father of all lies, Satan himself. He cannot stand that there is a conquering hero in the universe that is going to destroy him for his vain pride in which he wanted to be like the Most High and was thrown out of heaven. And Jesus Christ is his conqueror. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Brethren, you've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have a great hero, and I hope you love him this morning. When you are considering this subject, the first thing you have to do is stick to one source of truth. And it's this Bible. It is the King James Version of the Scriptures. You must start with this. I am giving you a few points that if you ever want to, you're not called to. When the Jehovah's Witness comes to your door and knocks and says, would you please give me a reason of the hope that is within you, then you should have some obligation on your soul. Because the Bible says to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set the Lord God apart in your hearts. Make Him holy. Make Him preeminent. And be ready to give an answer to every man. But they don't come that way. They aren't interested in truth. They are interested in numbers in the hope that they might make the 144,000. And if they can't make the 144,000, the lesser group of witnesses below them. To build their Russellite man-made kingdom in this world. Stick with the King James Bible. If you accept any other translation, you are asking for a battle you cannot win. What are you going to do? Turn to 1 John 5, 7? Let's try it. 1 John 5, 7. What does 1 John 5, 7 say in the Word of God? There are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three witness bearers. Don't tell me to read the rest. I read the rest. For there are three witness bearers. Now what are you going to do? If you let them pop this thing open, what will you do? You say, well, what about the New American Standard Version of Bob Jones University? They're the citadel of the faith, the foundation of orthodoxy, the defense of the truth. They're contending for the gospel, aren't they? 1 John 5, 7. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. The reason is, none of the Bibles today have 1 John 5, 7. So they took part of 6 or part of 8 to stick something in there, because they know they've got to have the same number of verses as the Bible you carry. Because they're still acknowledging this is the standard. The King James Bible. 1 John 5, 7, is it an important text? Don't you ever be ashamed of it either. Don't you let them use their Bible. We only have one, you say, but but what if they're sincere and they want to use their Bible? They're not very sincere if you've asked them who killed Goliath in your Bible first. Because if they still want to use their Bible after you ask them who killed Goliath in your Bible, 2 Samuel 21, 19, then you've got someone who isn't very sincere. Take up the Bible issue first. Do not. 
I am an ambassador for your king. Do not try to debate with the fools of this world in their false Bibles. It is a losing proposition, and you are not doing honor and glory to God who has left his Bible in the earth. You cannot win, and this is the word of God. Exalt it. If you grant their false premise of their Bible, then you have to contend without an absolute authority. And I want you to have the absolute authority of the word of God. What are you going to do when they turn to John 1.18? Turn to John 1.18 in your Bibles. The true scriptures of God. This is the Bible that in the Bible classes of Bob Jones University where those thousand preacher boys are trained, they are taught by the chairman of that, sc- that school of religion, Dr. Stuart Custer, that this is a more reliable translation of the scriptures in the King James Bible. You should preach from the King James Bible in the pulpits, just like they're required to in the chapel of Bob Jones University, for deception. Because this is more accurate. Now, if you're preaching in something that's less accurate, why are you preaching in something less accurate? Because you're a liar and a fraud. Because they know that if they ever went into the pulpits of the churches that supply that university with the people that pay people like Stuart Custer, they'd be thrown down and destroyed. Because those people are Bible believers. John 1.18, look at it. Let me read it to you from the New American Standard Version, the more reliable and the more accurate one. No man has seen God at any time. We'll accept that. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. The only begotten God? Are you kidding me? I'm not here to preach an only begotten God. I'm not here to preach a begotten God, an only begotten God, a very unique begotten God, a begotten God in any sense of the word. I'm here to preach to you the word of God that was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Yes, the only begotten Son. He is the only begotten Son because he was begotten of the Holy Ghost and the power of the highest in the womb of a virgin. That's pretty only begotten. What will you do? What will you do with this thing? You want to take someone on in this? They can turn to one place and have a begotten God, and what will you say? Stay with your King James Bible, the only begotten Son, and then learn how to define that Son. In His human nature, He's a Son, and only begotten in the womb of a virgin by the power of God. And is he the firstborn son that way? Yes, he's the firstborn son in a couple of ways that way. He's the first one born of a virgin. And brethren, he's the firstborn of all the sons of Adam because he is number one, preeminent, the Lord Jesus Christ, the firstborn. Was Jacob firstborn? Was he the firstborn though? He was not born first, but he was the firstborn, wasn't he? And so was our Lord Jesus Christ even considered in that way because of all the sons of Adam. He is the preeminent one, the firstborn, 
and the firstborn of the dead. The first rule for you never to be moved, never, you nor your children nor your children's children to ever be moved away from Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. Use the King James Bible only. Don't be ashamed of it. Defend it and use it. Do you know we've got 11 years and it'll be 400 year anniversary that God has blessed this Bible. You can, you can go pick up the first edition, a 1611. It's still the same thing. A few changes in spelling, the same words. It's glor- 400 years. It's been preached around the entire earth. And brethren, it's the basis for your conversion. It converted you. Love it. And stick with it. You leave it, you're in trouble. The second thing you need to remember, if they don't, I'm going to go back to the first one for one more sentence or two. If they don't want to use the King James Bible, they're not worth your time. Because if after a few questions like who killed Goliath, where you can show the internal flaw, fallacies, contradictions, and perversions in their Bibles, they still want to stick with their Bible. When Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken, and you just broke theirs over your knee in about ten pieces, and they still want to use it, doesn't that tell you anything at all? It tells you everything at all. They do not have a love for truth. They are not seekers of the truth. They are lovers of men. And they're belly worshipers. That love the praise of men and love the learning of men and the education of men rather than the word of God. The second thing you need to be established in and never leave is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is so simple. Such a simple point. But if they'll slip it in on you before you've even thought about it. This is so simple. They will... I love simplicity. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said? I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity of the gospel. The true gospel is very simple. How is Jesus the Son of God? Because God became His Father when Mary became His mother. And He became a son. That is that simple? Amen. Don't we all know that when a woman has a baby and the baby is male, that is her son. And that when a father has a baby and the baby is male, the baby, the son, is his son. The, the, the boy, excuse me, the boy, the male, is his son. That male child is his son. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, and I say that to you, the Israel of the New Testament, because this is still true. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You say, that is simple. Hold it. They will slip in some presuppositions on you and some arguments, and you'll miss this. The Lord our God is one Lord. 
There is no other God. That's why I went to Isaiah 43. There was no God formed before me, no God formed after me. Yea, I looked and couldn't find any. The Lord our God is one Lord. There is only one God. So whenever they slip in on you, He is a mighty God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. There's only one God. No, there's one Jehovah God. He's a, He's just a mighty God. No, there's one God. If you're bringing any doctrine to me where there's more than one God, get lost. Paul wouldn't have wasted any time with them. Maybe one sermon, but that was the Apostle Paul. He stood on Mars Hill and said, you guys are all together too superstitious. Look at all these ridiculous statues and idols that you have. Right. Now you've got one altar over here that at least I can use for this an illustration in this sermon. It says to the unknown God. Well, I'm going to tell you about him because there's only one. You're too superstitious. Right. Stick to the only one God. Now look at what else we know about this God. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. I don't care if you've got an 8th grade education, if you'll stick with a few simple points, because the truth is simple. If you'll stick with it and not be moved away from it, you can take on anyone. Just by limiting them to the King James Bible, you have just smashed them. Because if you get them to say, okay, we'll use the King James Bible, go to 1 John 5, 7. I believe in the Trinity. This is what it is. And here's why. You don't know the power of the scriptures, the truth. They cannot accept that verse. But you're not going to get them to accept the King James Bible usually either. But let's say you do. Let's say they do. Let's go to the next point. There's only one God. And what do we know about the God that we're worshiping this morning? Verse 14 of Exodus 34. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. If you're going to tell me that Jesus is a God, should I worship him? I'm asking you to pretend for a minute that you're a Jehovah's Witness. If the Jesus you're telling me about is a God, should I worship Jesus? They would say, yes, you should worship Jesus. But do you know what this text says? The God of heaven will not allow any other God to be worshipped. Thou shalt worship no other God, because the Lord God is jealous. Look at Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, in the light of that Exodus passage, look at Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 and verse 8. I am the Lord. Do you like those words? You know, everyone else has to drop someone else's name. President Clinton sent me. I'm here on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar. Randy Smith sent me, who might be your boss or your boss's boss, in a place of employment. You know what the Lord says? I am. I am the Lord. And do you know how often he says it? If you read Isaiah from cover, if you read Isaiah from the front to the back, you'll see it over and over and over. I am the Lord. 
That is my name. Now what? Lord, L-O-R-D in caps, indicating to us that was the sacred tetragrammaton of the Hebrews, meaning I am that I am. I am the Lord. I am the I am that I am. I am Jehovah God. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. This God is jealous, and he will not give his glory to another. And yet we're going to see, and I can't, I can't jump ahead, but does, any, does anybody have verses ringing in your mind where Jesus would say, Give me the glory that I had with thee before the world was. Do, do you think that can be found in the Bible? Yes, it can be. John chapter 17. Well, now, the Lord God Jehovah will not give his glory to another. Therefore, what do you think Jesus Christ is? Or who is he? He is the Lord God Jehovah. I am the Lord, and that is my name. Jesus can say that because he is the Lord God Jehovah. Do you love that? I love a God that won't give his glory to another. He wants it all to himself. I think he has the right to be jealous. I want him to be jealous. It just causes me to tremble, though, because he wants me to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and body. And he will not let us love something else. He wants you to love him supremely, but he will not give his glory to another. Look at Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. Did the Lord God want to find some other gods? Mm -hmm. If you're the world's greatest boxer, what do you want to find? What kind of competition? Weak the best. If you're the greatest miler in the world, who do you want to run against? Some high schooler? Some other greatest. Did you know that God wanted to find, or look for some other gods? (laughs) I love it, Lord. Praise your name. Verse 6 of Isaiah 44. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Wow. i got to leave it for now. I am the first, and I am the last. And beside me, there is no God. What point are we working on? I'm giving you how to... Listen, there are seminars given on how to defeat the Russellites or the Jehovah's Witnesses. They can go on for a whole week. They can go on for a whole month. You can buy yourself six feet of books. I'm going to give you a few simple little lessons. It's easy. First, the King James Bible. Second, there's one God. And if you... Really, you don't need any more. If you'll hang on the one God, you've got them because they try to make Jesus another God. And there is not another. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call, and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming, and shall come, let them show unto me. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? 
Yea, there is no God. I know not any. God doesn't know any gods beside him, including some only begotten God. God does not know the God of Stuart Custer. And I have written Stuart Custer about John 1.18 and the arrogance of that puffed up, degreed man when it comes to John 1.18 is nauseating. He wants to defend those words because that's his pet little translation. And yes, I have it in my file. You can read it if you want to. My letter to him, his letter to me about John 1.18. Arrogance is never preaching the word of God boldly. Arrogance is preaching a lie presumptuously. Amen. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. He wouldn't have minded running into one. What would the God of heaven have done to a God if he could have found one? Then there would have been only one God. But there was only one God, and I worship and I praise His name, and I exhort you to worship Him too this morning. I could turn you to other passages that teach the same thing. They're glorious to read. If you ever want to have your spirit lifted up in the Lord, go into some of these chapters in the 40s of Isaiah. I know that a couple of you have some of your favorite verses there, and have your soul lifted up. I read in Isaiah 45 and verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. That is Cyrus the Persian. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me, and that's us, brethren. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. That's Isaiah 45. Do you love him this morning? I read in verse 22, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Do you believe that? Look at Isaiah 46 and verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Did you ever want to worship a real hero? Can you believe our nation? They worship these little Africans that are brought to our country to entertain their masters by running up and down a court, sticking a little ball in a peach basket. That's all they are. They're the ultimate slave. They have to work at night when their white masters make them work. When their white masters are sitting and filling the bleachers, they're running up and down, bouncing up and down and jumping around just like their ancestors have done for 6,000 years. Can God save them? Absolutely. But do you know why I'm ridiculing them right now? Because they're made the, the objects of worship of our society. They are called stars. And I want to tell you this morning, I represent the one and only bright and morning star, the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Ethiopian eunuch was here this morning, could he worship with us? We'd love him. We'd love him. That man humbled himself and drove his chariot all the way to Jerusalem and went into a temple where he wasn't exactly welcome with open arms. He had a couple strikes against him, if you will think just for a minute. Ethiopian Gentile eunuch. 
He had a few strikes against him, but he went into that temple for to worship. And brethren, he paid whatever he had to pay, or Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, paid for him because he had the scriptures in his hand riding back, and he wasn't going to waste time traveling, and he wasn't on the cell phone. He was reading the word of God in his chariot on the way back to Ethiopia. Is that a man we could worship with? Amen. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Anyone hearing me or seeing me right now can hear me in my balanced position on that subject. But in this nation, they are abused and oppressed as servants and slaves. You say, but look at the money they make. What? Yes, I see the money they make and the money they spend so that none of them have anything left over. And all of their little brothers and little cousins and second cousins all want to be just like them, and so they waste their entire lives striving for something they can never achieve, when if they would humble themselves like the Ethiopian eunuch, they could amount to something in this world. Right. But instead, they spend all their time on asphalt parking lots, played by, paid for by their white masters, and they never amount to what the Ethiopian eunuch amounted to. And there is history, there is history written after this Bible about the churches of Ethiopia. The gospel was not lost by that eunuch. Do you know what it says about him after he was baptized? And what a glorious man. As soon as he heard about Jesus Christ, he said, See, here is water. It wasn't Philip that said, By the way, here's some water. Would you like to be baptized? It was the eunuch saying, See, here is water. Will you baptize me? Right. He went on his way rejoicing. He arrived back as a he was a happy camper when he got back to Candace, Queen of Ethiopia. And I know he didn't keep that gospel to himself. And brethren, we don't spend our time reading church history, but there was a church in Ethiopia. I'm sure that word spread after Philip baptized an Ethiopian Gentile eunuch that there was a believer now down in Ethiopia. I thank God for that example that we have in the Bible. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. After we come into the New Testament and Jesus Christ is revealed in the New Testament, do we have more than one God? Do we still have only one God? Amen. Even the New Testament? Amen. But what about Jesus Christ? Isn't he another God? Nope. Isn't he a begotten God? Stuart Custer says he's a begotten God. The Jehovah's Witnesses say he's a God. All the church creeds say he's an eternally generated God. God of God. God of God. Wow. They're so deep. God of God. Light of light. Very God of very God. Very light of very light. Deep mysterious, inscrutable, inconceivable, indeed, inconceivable. That's They describe it that way. Inconceivable. I agree. It's inconceivable to any man that does not belong in an insane asylum. You say you're ridiculing great men. My answer is Job 32. Amen. Great men are not always wise. 
There were four of them sitting together, the wisest men that ever sat together around one campfire. And a young pup named Elihu sat there and listened to them for 31 long chapters of their hot air. And he called it hot air, and he told them to shut up and listen to him, because he that is perfect in knowledge is with you, and now I'll tell you the truth, after you four guys have debated your hallucinations. If you think I'm exaggerating it, read Job 32, 33, and 34. Every young man ought to be trained in those three chapters. It'll give you the courage and power of an Elihu, Elijah, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Apostle Paul. Great men are not always wise. But they might have been smarter than you. They were smarter than me! I wouldn't want to sit down with many of them and take a Mensa IQ test. But I also didn't waste the first 45 years of my life sitting, listening to some man like Socrates, Aristotle, or some other pagan philosopher building the foundation at which I would defend Christianity. All you have to do is believe this Bible and hold to its words. Because the God that I represent has this to say about them all. All of them. Stuart Custer. The whole Bible department. The whole Bible faculty. At every Bible college. On every continent. In this whole world. Of every generation. All lumped together. He says, where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Have not I made foolish the wisdom of this world? Therefore, believe that, brethren, and become a fool. Become a fool for Jesus Christ, foolish enough to humble yourself, read what you have in your own language, and believe it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No matter how many, how noble, how wise, how educated, and how many degrees they have, might try to contradict us, hold to this Bible. There is one God. Jesus is not another God. He is Jehovah God, the one God. Whenever it says that he is God, like 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. That is the only God. Jesus is Jehovah God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, remember earlier I said, Anything you've ever heard called God, including Satan, is simply for the sake of men to understand, like President Clinton is a God and Johnny Mac Brown is a God. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. You say, well, that sounds like two people there. No, you're forgetting that there is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that God in a human body with a human spirit and soul. Because I read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, getting ahead of myself, but I can't help it right now, that in Jesus Christ in his body, there dwelled the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. So you had a human person 
a person that was a complex person. Humanity and Jehovah God in the Lord Jesus Christ. But within that person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All you got to do is believe that. All you got to do is believe that. Do you know how many Jehovah's Witnesses there are now? Mormons and others? Multiplied millions. They're very aggressive evangelistically. They put us to shame many times. But they're doing it for other purposes. They're not doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it for a work system of salvation. Never forget that. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 6, we are still, I wanted to give you several points by which you can believe the the simple gospel that came from the Lord of glory about His Son, Jesus Christ. First of all, we stick to the Scriptures of God. Second of all, we believe there's only one God, and we will not move from that for anyone, for any reason. And if you'll stick with that, right there, you've cut them off. The The Mormons, my, how many gods does a Mormon have? Billions, and they're still coming into existence. Don't you want to be a god? Don't you want to have your own planet with millions of wives so that you can populate your own planet with billions of spirit children in the ages to come? That sounds good to the flesh. Where is it in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. It's in all their other books. Ephesians 4, 6 after listing several other things that are limited to one, in verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul writes, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I thought Jesus said that He would dwell in us. He does dwell in us. I th- well, this says that God the Father dwells in us. I thought I just told you that in Jesus Christ dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Because there's only one God. Don't ever let them get divided. If you let them get divided, you're in trouble and you've given them something to work with. There's no begotten God. There's not a lesser God. There's not a God. There is one God. He is Jehovah. I am that I am. Do not give away the Trinity. The next point. Do not give away the Trinity. They'll say, do you believe something that's not found in the Bible? Here's how it works. Do you believe something that's not found in the Bible? No. Well, I think you do. No, we try to stick with the Scriptures only. The Trinity. It's not found in the Bible. Not in that word. But is there a plurality in the Godhead of persons? And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Us, our, and our are pronouns. Are they singular or plural? Plural. Does that mean that it's one or two or more? That's proof that there's two or more. When God came down and looked at the Tower of Babel, He said, let us go down and see what they're doing with this tower. There it is again, Genesis chapter 10 or so. We could, Genesis chapter 11. How about when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6? And we read in verse 8, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah chapter 6. How about in Matthew chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ came to be baptized of John, 
as he went down the water and came up out of the water, what descended from heaven in the form of a dove upon him? The Holy Spirit. And what voice boomed out of heaven? God the Father. There you see three in operation. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now turn to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. In your Bible, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. There again we have three mentioned. Now I'm thankful for 1 John 5, 7. We've turned to it. You've seen it. As I was illustrating, their Bibles don't have it. There's lots of material available for anyone who wants to delve into the proof for the existence of 1 John 5, 7. They're going to tell you that a man named Erasmus, who was a contemporary of Martin Luther, stuck that in his Greek translation of the New Testament on a wager. If that's true, I wonder why church fathers, in letters that they wrote back and forth between themselves, by church fathers I mean men who were bishops of churches, writing letters to one another in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, quoted 1 John 5-7 as we have it in our Bibles. There's a whole mountain of evidence to prove that it does exist and that it should be in the Word of God, and you don't even need any of that evidence any more than why you've got the epistle to the Colossians, but you don't have the epistle to the Laodiceans. Do you know why? Because God has blessed this by faith with fruit. Amen. First John 5, 7 belongs. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That means there are three persons participating in one nature. There is one Godhead with three persons that manifest that Godhead in the universe. One God, one nature, so that if any of them is called God, it is the, it is the divine nature that is true of all of them, all three of them. Do not give away that verse. There are three persons with one nature, one Godhead, that those three persons manifest themselves from in their relationships with one another and with us. But it's one God, absolutely one God. And they'll start ridiculing you. You've created a monster, a three-headed monster. Let them say that. And wait till they meet the Lord Jesus Christ who is that three-in-one God with the fullness of that Godhead dwelling in him bodily when he comes to vindicate the truth before the entire universe. Do not let them mock. If they want to mock that, don't cast your pearls before swine or feed your bread to dogs. Hold to the Trinity. Hold to the incarnate sonship of Jesus Christ. Incarnate sonship means that Jesus Christ is the Son of God by his supernatural birth to Mary. There was no Son of God before the dividing of B.C. and A.D. There was the Word of God before the dividing of B.C. and A.D. And the Word of God was with God, and the Word of God was God. But that Word of God became flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then God had a Son 
There was no Son of God before that, and you should be established enough in that just to be able to lay out some of the simple verses like John 1.1, John 1.14, which I just quoted, and Luke 1.35, that holy thing shall be called the Son of God, and stick to that. If you give them the eternal sonship, that is the basis of the Jehovah's Witnesses' hallucinations. Because once you've got a begotten God, he's got to be a lesser God. Doesn't that make sense? They're just consistent. One thing we'll respect them for. They're not like all of the so-called Christian denominations who hold to a begotten God and yet want to make that begotten God equal to the God that begat him. They're consistent. If it's a begotten God, then he's not equal to the God that begat him. And we agree, but we don't have any such begotten God. We have a begotten Son who is God manifest in the flesh. Amen. Hold to that. Brethren, 1 John 2, 4, 5, 2 John tells us that anyone that denies the Son denies the Father. If you do not believe and hold to the record that God has given of His Son, which I've just given to you, it is the spirit of Antichrist. What is the true spirit of Antichrist? Some man with a giant computer in Belgium? What's the spirit of Antichrist? Denial of Jesus Christ. The written, the, the God-given record of Jesus Christ is the denial. Of, is, is the spirit of Antichrist because it's denying the Son and the Father and their relationship as I've just given it to you. The Jews were guilty of it. Many pagans were guilty of it. The Mormons are guilty of it. The Jehovah's Witnesses are guilty of it. They have the spirit of Antichrist. And there has been a spirit in this world that is Antichrist. And it's Satan himself. And do you know the warnings are so sober in the epistles of John that in Second John it says, if any arrives at your house not holding the true doctrine of Jesus Christ, don't let him in the house and don't bid him Godspeed. You say that's not very loving. Yes, it is. It's loving of the Lord God and His Son, Jesus Christ. They're to be avoided. Let me close with this point. The Jehovah's Witnesses themselves, a couple of them with a rare lucid moment, said that if Jesus Christ truly is Jehovah God, we will burn in the lowest hell. Do the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in hell? Do the other cults that deny the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ believe in hell as a general rule? No. That's very interesting to me. That they want to deny the full deity and that Jesus Christ is the Lord God Jehovah himself. And they must deny the existence of hell. Can you wonder why? I find that very interesting. They're going to be hoping there isn't a hell. But its mouth is going to be open wide for them for having denied the only Lord God and His Son, Jesus Christ, because if you deny Jesus Christ, you have denied the very Jehovah that He is. And so you are a witness of nothing but your own destruction and insanity. Forget them. 
we can never be moved away on this subject. I am an ambassador from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Jehovah God. Jesus Amen. is Jehovah. Never be moved. Never move away from the King James Bible version of the scriptures. There is one God. We believe there is a trinity. We believe in the incarnate sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will not deny either part of that relationship between father and son. We believe the record that God has given of it. And we do believe in a hell. And that hell is a fit and appropriate place for all those that deny Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.